A person who thinks all the time has nothing to think about except thoughts. So he loses touch with reality and lives in a world of illusions. Where did you get this pure thought and impure thought business? Who are you to decide what is pure and impure? This is the way life is made. There's nothing pure, there's nothing impure. Life is just the way it is. It's for you. A culture that is obsessed with and prioritizes a separation from and control of natural human desire. Hello, and welcome to Impure Rethought. Hello. My, that's Dimitri, that's my cat, that's our third co-host. Um, my name is Victoria, a.k.a. Vika, by my friends, lovers, and enemies of the state, and other enemies. <laughs> and my name's Meg, a.k.a. Maggie, uh, or Margaret, if you want to be real formal about it. What's our podcast about? Our podcast is about... Wow, I, I did just forget for a moment. <laughs> Impure Rethought is a podcast that examines the way that patriarchy, purity, and profit shape our culture. Woohoo! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, this is our first episode that we're recording, like... I was going to say on purpose, but it's not like we didn't record the other ones on purpose. We're it's the first con continuation um, that we're recording. <laughs> and I apologize for my cat meowing. You guys are just going to have to get used to that. Um, it's a talkative household over there. Yeah, he has much to say. Many opinions. <laughs> One time, my boss and I, like, like way back in 2020, we're talking about the kind of books that our cats would write. And... <laughs> We decided that Dimitri would become, he would be like a strong political opinion writer, like the Bill O'Reilly of cats. <laughs> That's amazing. Which side would he be on, though, on the political spectrum? Uh, this does pain me to say, but I definitely think Dimitri would be right wing authoritarian. <laughs> He'd be like, cookies for all gray cats and no other cats. <laughs> this is the platform I'm running on. <laughs> Uh, amazing. I think Fenway would probably be a libertarian. <laughs> I, I could see that. She's been very happy in New Hampshire, which I'm like, not a great sign. <laughs> she's like, she's meowing and it's like, live free or die. Exactly. That's what she's saying when she meows. <laughs> By which she means, let me go outside <laughs> or I will die. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I guess before we get into it, I'd like to say thank you very much for everybody that listened to our first two episodes. Yes, thank you so much. The response was amazing. Yeah, we've gotten some really great feedback, and I fully thought that only my mom was going to listen. Hi, mom. So that was amazing. And thanks to everybody who has told us your feedback um i realized that i have a lot of vocal fry listening to the two <laughs> episodes so if you had any doubt that i'm from california <laughs> now you don't have to so um true. yeah we i do have the discord up so if you want to find a place to come chat about uh, things then you can come join that discord and i will put the link in the show notes 
Um, I think that's all the housekeeping. Yeah, I think so. We, I didn't mean to do two episodes in a row on women's rights, but that's just kind of how it happened. So <laughs> anyways, I guess I should say the topic that I'm presenting on, which is weaponized incompetence slash the view of the wife as a servant. So before I go into my research, Meg, what are your feelings and experiences with this? Ooh, uh, great question. Um, like I didn't expect that question to come, but like <laughs> interesting for me to think about, I guess is more what I meant. Um, well, I know, I guess like I'm I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about it because you did get married quite young when you were in fully in the evangelical church, and I'm interested like how your views of marriage and like being a wife have changed as you've deconstructed. Yeah, so whew, that's a really big like question to answer. <laughs> so I like, hey, you don't have to like no, get, I won't get fully super into, deep it, but... into it, but like I'm sure we'll get into it at a later date. One of my topics mm-hmm. this season is going to be marriage, so we'll talk a lot about mm-hmm. it then. <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, yeah, I've thought a ton about this because like we actually got married like kind of at the start of when I was deconstructing. Yeah. Um, and it was something, obviously, that Daniel and I were talking about a ton at the time, and I think he was uh, not quite deconstructing, but, like, starting to approach it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but we always knew in our relationship that I was not gonna be, like... <laughs> doing all the housework or like you know it wasn't gonna be one-sided like that yeah he wasn't gonna be working full-time to support me living at home full-time and taking care of the house like that was never the plan so it wasn't like a huge shift in the dynamics of our relationship especially because Mm -hmm. also (laughs) Daniel is like naturally much neater than I am (laughs) So by default, he ends up doing a lot more housework because he cares more about it. And I'm so sorry, Daniel, (laughs) I should do more. But um, (laughs) uh, yeah, it's like, I'm trying to gather my thoughts again. Can you remind me of your question? Yeah, my question was what how your view of like specifically being a wife has changed since you deconstructed yeah so i guess like your values yeah would be a better term i guess before i deconstructed and i mentioned this either like in our intro episode or like my first episode but um it was my goal for a while to, like, be a mom mm-hmm. and, like, take care of the kids full-time, like, when they were really young. Um, and that kind of shifted. I've, I've like, shifted away from that as I've deconstructed. Um, <laughs> uh, we're FaceTiming and Victoria's screen just is full of Dimitri now (laughs) he just came and sniffed my microphone so sorry enjoy don't eat that um (laughs) anyway uh yeah so I've like shifted away from wanting to become a mom and I think that a lot of that is wrapped up in 
I didn't necessarily want to be a mom to be a mom or like to have kids of my own. It was more of a duty thing, like that was what was expected of me. So once I started to shift away from having that expectation for myself, I realized that I don't actually want that. Um, And the kids thing is like the main way that that shifted for me. Fortunately, I found a really good one and Daniel doesn't like use weaponized incompetence (laughs) to like get out of doing stuff. Um, But I know that I lucked out and not... (laughs) Not everyone is like that, so. Yeah. I always felt similarly, like, I come from a matriarchal family, which was really weird for the evangelical church. Not that we don't have problems. We get a lot of problems. (laughs) But, um, like, the women in my household, like, no matter who they are, they always, like, tended to marry, like, pretty, um, I don't want to say submissive, but, like, beta males um (laughs) just like my my, the women in my family were the decision makers and Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes in head of the fight in charge of the finances and all that other stuff but like they would also do the housework I remember I got in so much trouble I must have been like 16 15 or 16 and it was Thanksgiving and we were at my grandma's house and Um, I had been told to help do the dishes after Thanksgiving, and I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, I've never done it before. Why am I going to, why am I doing it now? (laughs) And all of the men, all of the men were sitting downstairs, like, having beers, and I was like, they're all adults, and they're not busy. Why aren't they doing the dishes? And I got in so much trouble, (laughs) but, um, so, like... Yeah, it always just seemed, like, weird to me. That was something that was always very strange for me to wrap my head around, was, like, how women were supposed to be in the church. And uh, it is in my nature to speak my mind and have opinions on things and not, like, hedge them, especially for the benefit of men. Like, I just honestly wasn't really around that many men growing up. And I didn't see most of that, like a lot of the authority figures in my life were female. So it was always a weird thing for me. Um, But I did learn a lot in my research for this episode. So without further ado, uh, let's dive in. So Meg, how would you define weaponized incompetence? Um, It is a pretty self-explanatory term, I feel like, but it's basically the idea that... um, someone is pretending not to know something or pretending not to be able to do something or not pretending necessarily but playing up how well or poorly they can do something (laughs) and then using that as an excuse to get out of doing it yeah for sure um, the definition that I found from an article, I think on Pop Sugar, um, but my sources are all linked in the show notes, is weaponized incompetence or strategic incompetence, as it's sometimes called, is the act of feigning incompetence at any one task, though usually an unpleasant one, to get out of doing it. Um, I, I also looked up the Oxford Dictionary definition of submissive. Uh, which means ready to conform to the authority or will of others, meekly obedient or passive. Mm. Um, 
Then I also, in my research for this, found an interesting concept, which I actually already knew about because, as previously mentioned, there was one time I was really mad at my boyfriend about chores, (laughs) and so I made him read a bunch of studies and comics, (laughs) and one of them talks about the mental load of um, housework, which is, like, the mental load is the person who's planning, like, what are we going to have for dinner? Um, what needs to be done, like, kind of the expectation to manage the household. And I've seen, like, there's this genre of what I would call, like, heterosexual TikTok, (laughs) which which I try to stay away from. Um, But... I've seen some that are like, oh, when I have to send my husband to the store for groceries and like they have like, there's one in particular that I'm thinking of. Yeah. And she like prints out the pictures of what they need. (laughs) And it's meant to be this like, haha, isn't my husband so funny because he's so stupid and incompetent that I have to do half the work for him. Like, that's so annoying. (laughs) Isn't it? I don't know, wild expectation of me here, but if I say to my boyfriend, could you please get some butter from the store, I kind of expect him to know what butter looks like. Like, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it does sound like your expectations are, like, incredibly high. I don't know how you expect anyone to meet those. (laughs) I know. Uh, poor, stupid, incompetent men, and we just have to do everything for them. Even if you have um, to specify, like, the brand, it's like, you yeah. can, if you need to, you can Google a picture of this yourself. Literally, like, I don't understand. We have phones. Um, I do have a really quick question, actually, yes. and this is probably, like, not really the direction you went at all with this, but I'm curious about your thoughts as to, like, you know how... <laughs> On Twitter, when people are getting yes. into, like, Twitter wars or whatever, um, <laughs> yeah. and someone's playing devil's advocate, and then suddenly... The devil has enough advocates. <laughs> <Right>. Stop. <laughs> yeah. Um, suddenly, they're like, I'm just asking questions. Do you think that that's, like, a form of weaponized incompetence? Ooh. I have never really thought about it. I think... I don't know if I would call it weaponized incompetence, like, because I've definitely had conversations with people who are like, I am genuinely trying to understand you, where I feel like the purpose of a devil's advocate is, like, trying to rile you up and make Mm -hmm. you upset. Like, I would say, I don't know, yes and no. I think weaponized incompetence... We usually think about it in relation to, like, the household, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? Tell us. Because <laughs> I, I genuinely don't have an answer. That's a really interesting question. Whatever. I, would, yeah. I guess the difference is I would say weaponized incompetence. Like, I would definitely see, like, weaponized incompetence is something to get responsibility off of me. It's not necessarily intended to make the other person upset, even if it does. The yeah. intention is to lower my workload. Yeah. I, I remember I was reading, like, a, I don't know, like, an Am I the Asshole post or something one time, and <laughs> it was... 
uh, some of the it's always it's always women being like my boyfriend is a serial killer should I leave him <laughs> um, and men being like my girlfriend gained two pounds and wants me to be nice to her am am I the asshole and it's like <laughs> yes yes you are yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways but I was reading one one time where I was like, this woman, her husband was like, oh, you just clean the kitchen so much better than I do. Can you come show me how to do it? And she did and like came and cleaned the whole kitchen. And then she squirted jam all over the counter and was like, here, you know how to do it so you can clean this up. <laughs> and like, honestly, queen. It's amazing. Um, yeah. yeah. Royalty. So- <laughs> So, like, that's what I think of as weaponizing competence is, like, I don't want to do this. So you so I will do it poorly so that you do it so that I so that it doesn't become part of my workload. So let's get into my research. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm laughing because so Meg, you can corroborate me that we in our um, evangelical experience had a lot of lectures and conversations about how to be submissive women and wives. Yes. Oh my God, so many. (laughs) The number of times this came up for us as like adolescents, like as children. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) I remember, which like, I guess it makes sense if you're like, you're gonna graduate high school and get married immediately but i don't know like (sighs) it was i was like can i please go do my geometry homework (laughs) and not worry about being a submissive wife yeah um so when i was trying to do my research i was trying to figure out where the sort of ideology of being a submissive woman came from and how that became the norm for women and i found probably like eight thousand blog posts by like evangelical women that were like how to be a submissive wife and Uh. why i love being a submissive wife so i found one that i think really um really sums up the ideology that we're talking about so i just want to take you through some of the high points of this article oh no i'm very scared (laughs) this is from a blog called lemetropolil.com um and it was it was like the second hit and i read it kind of for shits and giggles and then i ended up sort of um I don't know, really know how to describe the feeling that I had from this. It was sort of like deep, deep discomfort mixed with anger, mixed with a hilarity that, that like, la- like only laughing at a Republican can bring you. Like, just kind of the, the deep delusion going out. So I, I just want to read you a few select quotes from this article about how to be a submissive wife and and how it's going to really improve your marriage okay i'll take notes Um, notes. yeah you and daniel really need to work on this actually (laughs) (laughs) if you think about it a lot of us are under someone at some point 
We have bosses at work. When we were at school, no matter how smart we were, we had to follow the rules and obey our teachers. When we go against the hierarchy of authority, we end up in a lot of mess. The heads of a department are there for a reason, to organize and consolidate. You all should work towards something, a goal. If each person has their own plan without consulting the others, they may not meet the goal. You will also know if the authority is being abusive. They will just command you to do something without asking how you feel about the task. Submissive wives can also leave if they find themselves in an abusive relationship. A submissive woman is not a doormat. We should make this fact clear. She is, however, someone who can be a submissive wife to her husband, in the biblical sense. It means that she must follow his plans, even if she does not wholly agree. So much to unpack. What a rich text. <laughs> uh, and that's like, that is, this article was maybe like, five or six pages long i just i just selected some of the highlights there so i am fascinated by like (laughs) um the uh (laughs) how do i even say it there's just so much going on but like the duality i guess (laughs) of like Mm -hmm. um you can leave if you don't like what he's saying but you can, like, the definition of submissive is doing things even if you don't like them. Yeah, I'm like, exactly. Okay. <laughs> what does this mean? My, my personal favorite is, like, you have to follow teachers and bosses because they know better for you. Like, anybody who's ever had a bad boss can be like, mm, I don't know about that. Or, like, anybody who has a personal <laughs> vendetta against their PE teacher. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Come on. It's also fascinating to me because they're saying they're making the argument basically that like we've grown up being submissive and it's like mm-hmm. have male children also not grown up that way? Yeah, like, exactly. Why does it change when we're adults suddenly? Anyway, <laughs> god. Um she also gives us some tips on how to be a submissive wife Ooh. here. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to take you through these, okay? Um, Thank you. Take notes. This okay. is this is for your marriage. This will save <laughs> your marriage. Um how to be a submissive wife. Serve him first. Now, yeah. do you think that this means um serving at, in a servant sense? No, it means literally serve him his meal first. Oh my god. Um, if, it's the if 1950s. There are, literally. And she has this whole thing. If there are guests in the house, you have to agree beforehand that you can serve them first. Otherwise, you have to serve your husband first. And if you don't, then you are not being a submissive wife. And which I also love. And rights to throw a tantrum about it, I presume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also love the um, assumption that, like, you are serving the meal and you have prepared it because mm-hmm. that's your in your duties as a wife. She didn't go into that, but it was just like serve him his meal first always. That's a prerequisite. This does include yeah. <laughs> oh god. Does does include serving him before your children, by the way. Wow. Um make him feel good in his home. Don't nag. Give him a chance to explain. She talks about how he wants to feel happy in his home and like sometimes he's tired when he comes home from work, which I mean like I get it. Yeah, it's unpleasant to be nagged immediately, but also like put your laundry away. I believe in you. Um listen to each other. 
Pray together for guidance and everything else. Share your thoughts and opinions, but let him make the final say. <laughs> Find a verse that you can use as your mantra. She specifically recommends Proverbs 31, which is a verse of that course. is often, yeah, like how to be a good wife. And I, we will actually look into Proverbs 31 in, Ooh, in just we? a little bit. Um, this is my personal favorite suggestion. Put him before your children. So... <laughs> Oh my god. She says what if your children, children will eventually Oh, all all children. Your husband always comes first. <laughs> oh she goes in a little bit about how your children are eventually going to leave you, but your partner, your husband is like with you forever and you have to prioritize that relationship and prioritize his comfort over your children's. Wow. That's my personal personal favorite one. So the next time that Fenway like scratches Daniel or something, um, you actually have to attend to Daniel first instead of Fenway. So <laughs> just noted. St- stick that one in your pocket. <laughs> Make suggestions kindly. Let him protect you and your children. Let him defend you. Pray constantly, alone and together. She says, quote, Prayers will continue to strengthen you in your marriage. Your faith will give new meaning to a submissive marriage. Without God in your life, your husband will end up dominating you because you let him. He may not reciprocate by giving you the devotion that you deserve. Prayer will remind both of you that you are in a marriage where mutual respect is a daily part. End quote. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into this, if not in this episode, in the marriage episode, but... um. <laughs> Shoot, what was I gonna say? <laughs> I I don't know. Uh we were ta- what were you saying? Well I have I have one last quote from this article, okay. so maybe I'll read this one and it'll come back to you. Okay. So this is what um this author has to say about modern marriage, which I really loved her take on it. I think that we can all learn from this. Quote Modern men and women have become so independent that they do not care if the other is separated from them. It becomes easy to separate or divorce because the spouses have not truly become one. And being a submissive wife, you can show your willingness to be a partner who is dedicated to her role. Of course, you must also find someone who is willing to take on his role as a Christian husband. End quote. Uh, your face right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so mad about this. Um, okay, I do remember what I was going to say. The idea that marriage is only successful if you're both Christians and you pray constantly makes me so mad. And I can't wait to talk about that at some point. But like, oh my God, the pressure that it puts both on Christians and on non-Christians, it's just, like, bananas. Yeah, and, I like, I saw um, a Tumblr post, actually, pretty recently that, like, made me really think, like, they were talking about how, in our culture, the only acceptable definition of success is forever. Like, if mm. you start a business and it fails, or eventually, like, even if you're open for 20 years and then you close it, or if you have a relationship that's really good for a while and then it ends, like, those are considered failures and not like this was serving me for the time that it served me and now it yeah. no longer serves me and I've moved on. And I thought that was really resonant. And this is also something that I think, like, applies to 
Christian ideas of marriage where it's like, like, if let's be real, you get married at 18 because you want to have sex and then you have a baby at 19 and like your brain is literally not fully developed. Like you are not a full, fully matured human being. The person I was at 18 is radically different than the person I was now at 26. I was also very mentally ill, but that is a different topic. Um, And, like, I'm sure the person I am at 26 is different than the person I'll be at 36. So, like, not every relationship serves you forever. And if it does, that's great. But, like, like, it just isn't realistic, I think, to think that forever, like, that you have to sacrifice your own happiness and your own sort of thriving to make something work because you committed to it when you were 18. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy to me. Yeah, I think as a culture, we just need to get more comfortable with endings in general. Like, we don't know what to do with death in this country. We don't know what to do with, like, ends of marriages or relationships. Just, like, retirement even, you know? <laughs> Fun little diatribe. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I looked into where the idea of being a submissive wife comes from, a submissive woman slash humble wife, and the aforementioned Proverbs 31, which I think is probably, like, the most common, like, submissive wife verse they give you. I would like to read you um, Proverbs 31, the part that the parts that are relevant, which starts at Proverbs 31.10. A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. I'm selecting wool and flax all the time. (laughs) She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household, and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate what's so interesting is that that sounds like a girl boss more than like a submissive wife to me exactly (laughs) so we'll we'll get into this a little bit when it comes to like other religions and cultures but when i read this i was also quite struck at that um proverbs 31 seems to really praise women for her business acumen and it sees her as the head of a household yes but like in a way 
where it sounds like she's like running a farm yeah it does (laughs) rather than like it sounds more like she's running a farm while her husband goes off and like sits in the city (laughs) but it it sounds like she's very involved and like like it definitely sounds like she is the head of the household rather than the man it sounds like she's running a farm and also like a hostel and also like making clothes for everybody and like providing food like she's doing so much i don't know wow see i think that i deserve (laughs) sheep because proverbs 31 says so um (laughs) so here are a couple more bible verses which um are usually referenced with respect to submissive women ephesians 5 22 to 24 wives submit to your own husbands as to the lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as christ is the head of the church his body and is and is himself its savior now as the church submits to christ so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands does anything strike you about this verse which is also one that we heard a lot in our school we did like premarital counseling with our pastor before we got married um and we of course talked about this verse but our pastor like said that this verse is often misread um and let me like try to remember exactly what he said about it but it was something like the head was not necessarily seen as the brain at that time it was more seen as, like, the feeling part, like, kind of how we see our hearts now. So it's, like, the heart and soul, kind of, are the head. Um, so what this verse is saying is kind of, like, not that husbands are, like, the deciding force in the marriage, but that they should be, like, an emotional leader kind of thing. Mm, that's interesting yeah um i have never heard that what strikes me about this verse is that it that it specifically compares the husband to christ who um (laughs) lest lest we forget was literally crucified for the church so husbands if if you're not being crucified for your wives think about that Uh, the next verse I found was 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 12. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not per- permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Disagree. <laughs> I, my The next one I found was Titus 2, 5. Mm-hmm. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, I would like to share with you Titus 2, 9, um, just so we can see what we're working with here. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. So nice. I, I really like that we're that we're taking um, advice on how to be a submissive wife and also on how to be a submissive slave from Titus. Yeah. So if your slaves are acting up, you should read them. Titus 2.9. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, wait, I remembered something else, actually, about that Ephesians verse. Um, yeah. Did you do you have in front of you like the verse like right before that? or something or after it's like uh, i think that it says like the same goes for the wife or for the husband to the wife or something like that 
And that part gets left out conveniently all the time. Uh, So those are like the Bible verses that I found. And now I'd like to go a little bit into the history of Protestantism. Ooh, I can't wait. You touched on this a little bit in your toxic positivity episode. The reason that Protestantism was so radical um, when it became a thing is that it focused on the personal relationship with Jesus, which was not like something that was seen as possible before and it was actually considered like a feminine spirituality so feminine spirituality versus um the masculine view of christianity with which had to do with um christian warfare so there was an idea that like um you may have heard of them the crusades like that was (laughs) that was quite like masculine religion was carrying out your religion through warfare and this idea that a spiritual war was happening for you and like you should do things via works instead of via communing directly with god and that's the reason that we had like the pope and thing i say we i never had the pope catholics had the pope um (laughs) you don't personally have the pope he's actually in your back pocket he's in my closet on speed dial Um, So during the Reformation, there was this radical idea that the Bible should guide spirituality rather than tradition, so that we should be um, sort of reading and interpreting the text rather than what some guy said, um, and that salvation could be done via faith rather than good works. So it was like really radical that you could have a personal relationship with God and that God knew each person individually and the only thing that you needed to do was have faith in him so i looked a little bit at the different sects of christianity that propped up during the reformation and how they all sort of contributed to this idea so if you don't know there's two like main branches of christianity which are catholicism and protestantism (laughs) protestantism has about eight million subsects because nobody could agree on how to be a, the right kind of protestant um <laughs> so, so there's a lot but like i would say the main ones that propped up during the early days of the reformation and like the mid 1500s um early 1600s about ar- around there calvinism boo (laughs) yeah we we don't love calvinism (laughs) calvinism gives us the um john calvin that that great guy gives us the idea that (laughs) (laughs) humanity's fate is predetermined and jesus's spirit is present is present everywhere and there's genuine communication with him but not his body which is quite heretical because catholics believe that when you take communion you are like literally eating the body of jesus which is how i got in trouble at the vatican when i turned 14 because i had never taken catholic communion before and i walked away with the little host the little cracker and they a gasp went through the crowd and i was (laughs) like what um so protestants that's where our idea that um, communion is sort of ritual, but not real Jesus's body comes from, is from John Calvin. Lutheranism, um, Martin Luther, presents the idea that redemption is 
through faith alone rather than through good works. And one of the reasons I remember, if you remember from like your eighth grade history class that Martin Luther was so radical was because of indulgences. So you would like buy your way into forgiveness for sins. So Martin Luther presents the idea that 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 is not real and that you actually have to just have faith in God. And then general Protestantism among themselves, Protestants are subdivided into many classes, Quakers, Unitarians, Lutherans, Calvinists, etc. But to Catholics, a Protestant is any Christian who opposes the Catholic Church. So that is the reason for like fierce anti-Protestant persecution. They don't care what kind of Protestant you are. If you oppose the Catholic Church, you are a Protestant and you should die. And that's how we got Dairy Girls, um, which is a show that I love. Anyways, (laughs) that was a joke. So moving on a little bit, we get into Puritans in the 1600s. And Puritans have a really interesting construction of... Protestantism and gender roles within. So in Puritan society, there's something called laymen. They are the male members of the congregation who are trusted to act out the godly principles of society. A church and the courts could not charge members for the same crime. Or wait, no, they could charge members for the same crime. They're considered like two separate things, a church and a court. And the church also has a sort of social rule attached to it. There's a quote that says, being a city on a hill required vigilance. And it ended up in like fierce community monitoring, which is something Mm -hmm. that I feel like we still see today. Like that is a, I mean, not that we didn't ever have community monitoring, but I feel like particularly like that's the original neighborhood watch, Puritanism. (laughs) (laughs) However, the New World also introduced new gender norms, like women literally had to do more because there wasn't the infrastructure for women to be sort of wives of leisure. So they had to run businesses and they had to take on roles as the head of the household and they had more freedom that way because they, there was no option. It was a harsh place to survive and so you had to do that men were also supposed to be even tempered sober and family centered which was different than the reformation manly ideal um which i looked for but apparently didn't write down so i guess you can google that if you (laughs) want to know about it Although the ideology of the Puritans was equality, the lived practices were different. Elizabeth Reyes, who wrote a book called Damned Women, Sinners and Witches in Puritan New England, which is like the best title of all time, (laughs) proposes that women focused more on their souls while men focused more on their actions. And they considered the body and soul as two separate entities. And I feel like this is something that's really pervasive still, Mm -hmm. where like women are seen as having like the emotional monopoly where men are like ruled by their bodies i feel like that also kind of ties in with like father son holy spirit like the holy spirit is kind of seen as like more feminine and the son is like yeah which was another like really 
radical idea of Protestantism mm. that that the Holy Spirit was like because when you talk about communing directly with God people are usually talking about the Holy Spirit like I can feel the Holy Spirit yeah um that was like the thing that Protestants were pe- persecuted for where they mm. were not allowed to feel the Holy Spirit um only like the Pope or the bishops could say that they did that I looked into how this differed across cultures, and I found that it was mostly Abrahamic religions who had this um, reading of women and wives at, like, being submissive. I did not research it super thoroughly, so nobody come for me. (laughs) You're not a religion scholar. (laughs) Yeah, I just wanted to um, compare them. I found a quote from Manuel Garcia, who wrote a book called We Are Not Submissive, which is like a sort of modern feminist text. Um, And she had a great quote called, when you are in a certain situation, you are supposed to have a certain type of life. And the situation of women is that they are destined to submit to men. This does not mean that they have no other possibilities, but rather that everything in society is designed to make them submit, which I found very insightful because like when we think about racism and when when we think about um sort of larger power structures at play i feel like this is the context that we want people to have like you individually can be a racist and you individually can be a sexist but even if you are not it does not matter because the system is racist and sexist and Mm -hmm. I've actually, like, not seen that kind of reading of feminist texts a lot of the time, so I thought that was really interesting. She's French, um, by the way, so not, like, super far off from from our Western culture, but I thought that that was useful context to have, um, especially when we're talking about sort of modern views of marriage and weaponized incompetence. Islam and women. This one was quite controversial, and I found a lot of blog posts about it. And I was I tried really hard to find like a scholarly research source. So I ended up looking at an article done on Pew Research, which said that in nearly every country they surveyed, which was majority um, sub-Saharan Africa, South Asia, and the Middle East, they a majority of Muslims said that a wife should obey her husband, um, and Outside sub-Saharan Africa, most Muslims believe that a woman should decide for herself if she should wear a hijab. Hmm. Muslims are less unified when it comes to questions of divorce and inheritance. The percentage of Muslims who say that a wife should have the right to divorce her husband varies widely among the countries surveyed, as does the proportion that believes sons and daughters should inherit equally. In some, but not all, countries surveyed, Muslim women are more supportive of women's rights than are Muslim men. A big shocker there. Differences on these questions are also also are apparent between Muslims who want Sharia to be the official law of the land in their country and those who do not. In general, I would say Islam and Christianity had similar views in my research about women and the roles of women. That honestly doesn't sound that different from like the evangelical Christian culture in this country. No. Yeah, I tried to find some, uh, like, excerpts from the Quran, but I didn't find anything that was particularly relevant, Mm. um, which might have had to do with the translations. Then, so, (laughs) 
I looked into Judaism and I found a wonderful website called JewFAQ.org. Amazing name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> In traditional Judaism, women are for the most part seen as separate but equal. Women's obligations and responsibilities are different from men's, but no less important. In fact, in some ways, women's responsibilities are considered more important. Mm. So Judaism argues that the equality of women and men begins at the highest possible level because God does not discriminate between women and men. And differently from Christianity, Judaism does not view God as male or female. The reason mm. that it defaults to he is because Hebrew has no um, gender neutral pronoun, which I thought was very interesting. That is interesting. So they have to use like some pronoun. <laughs> yeah, the specific the yeah. specific quote, and I, I really like they spelled it G hyphen D. They didn't spell G-O-D. They say, we refer to God using masculine terms simply for convenience sake, because Hebrew has no neutral gender. God is no more male than a table is. As one Hasidic rabbi explained it to me, God has no body, no genitalia. Therefore, the idea that God is male or female is patently absurd. So... I thought that was very interesting. I knew this yeah. off the top of my head, but this also corroborated it for me, that um, Jewish women traditionally had many more rights than Christian women mm. did. They were allowed to buy, sell, and own property. They were allowed to make their own contracts. They had rights which women in Western countries didn't have until like the late 19th mm. century. But Jewish women were always allowed to do it. Now, you want to know what really blew my mind? Proverbs 31, 10 to 31 is traditionally read at Jewish weddings, and it speaks repeatedly of business acumen as a trait to be prized in women. Yeah. I found the Jewish reading of that, of Proverbs 31, to be very different, but also way more mm. accurate than the Christian reading of it. Another quote from this article, there is no question that in traditional Judaism, the primary role of a woman is as wife and mother, keeper of the household. However, Judaism has great respect for the importance of that role and the spiritual influence that the woman has over her family. The Talmud says that when a pious man marries a wicked woman, the man becomes wicked. But when a wicked man marries a pious woman, the man becomes pious. The child of a Jewish woman and a Gentile man is Jewish because of the mother's spiritual influence. The child of a Jewish man and a Gentile woman is is not Jewish. Interesting. I also found that interesting. Yeah, that 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 is how Jewish people understand um I like inherited Judaism, I guess is what I would call yeah. it. I didn't know that and I thought it was very interesting. This also isn't like super relevant, but I thought it was funny that at the end of the article um they talk about Lilith mm-hmm. who is the mother of demons mm-hmm. and they Say that Lilith is is based primarily on a work called The Alphabet of Ben Sirah, which portrays Lilith as Adam's first wife who was rejected because she wanted to be on top during sexual intercourse, (laughs) which I thought that was really hilarious because, like... Like, what man rejects a woman because she wants to be on top? That doesn't sound like men to me. (laughs) Um, Lilith was replaced with Eve, a more submissive second wife. And then they... They go into, like, the alphabet of Ben Sirah wasn't, like, I think it was a medieval poem, mm. so it can't really be considered an accurate historical source. I just I just thought it was funny. Yeah, I think, actually, um, 
I read that in like a world lit class in college. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> the difference, I guess, between like traditional Judaism and other Judaism is Orthodox Judaism, where I read a paper about Orthodox Judaism and domestic violence, um, which wasn't super mm. relevant to this podcast, but was very interesting. The Orthodox tradition dictates that the social and religious realms belong to men, whereas the hearth and the home are the realms of women, and women are to perform the tasks that maintain the family's health and happiness and to support the growth of children. So that's like a little bit of Judaism, and I looked into non-Christian religions, into Buddhism and Hinduism, and it like all of the literature on this was like incredibly niche it was like buddhist chinese university students and i was like i was looking for something a little broader than that (laughs) however shout out to my friend stephanie's dad who is buddhist he's from vietnam so i i asked her and then she asked her dad if there was a view of women as like a subservient class in Buddhism and her dad said, not really. However, because Buddhism was sort of conceptualized in India, it was radical because India had a um, like intense caste system at the Mm -hmm. time. So Buddhism, which saw everybody as, as living beings who would all suffer and die equally was, was very radical. And it was a direct opposition to the caste system. Um, he said that like there wasn't really a a resistance to like Buddhism having female leaders, but it was more directly related to the society that they were already in. So if the society right. already had a view of women in that way, then like the Buddhism would be more. It wouldn't be an influence on it, but like it, you, like Buddhist women would have more of that role just because yeah. of the society that they were in. Hinduism, the sources that I found said largely the same thing. Um, the Hindu texts, which I forget what they're called, the Vishradas or something. Also, like, highly esteem women and mothers, but um, they it's largely the same thing. If the society already devalued women, then the women would hold that role, and it had less to do with the religion and more to do with society, and I couldn't find anything about Shintoism and women um, that was relevant to this podcast. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I mean, I feel like that is similar in a lot of ways to Christianity and something that like gets overlooked a lot in evangelicalism anyway I guess Mm -hmm. just the culture at the time you know (laughs) cultural context that's the word (laughs) I feel like you always hear this in sort of Christian spaces we are in the world but not of it which is kind of like Mm -hmm. saying like we are part of this culture but we have our own culture when really like I think any religion is a subculture of yeah. a larger culture. Definitely. Of, like, whatever the... Like, to have this idea that you can operate outside of culture is so impossible. Like, you just can't. You can't do it. It's yeah. it's not yeah. possible. I also wanted to look into how that idea is still pervasive today. I think my takeaway from my research on the different religions is it seems that Abrahamic religions were the ones that sort of wrote the suppression of women into their holy texts Mm. um judaism seems markedly different from the others to me Mm. and um, i don't think anybody would argue with me that i think the abrahamic religions have really dominated culture for a long time um outside of like southern asia where buddhism is still the biggest 
religion. Not, there's a ton of people in Southern Asia, so it's not like it's not like that's not an influence. But there are also yeah, Christians there. Yeah, you can't there. like fully generalize generalize yeah. a whole region like that. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like culturally, the Abrahamic religions have been really dominant, um, particularly in Western culture. Yeah. How, like, does this idea of women as submissive and subservient, like, still affect us today? Um, And this is when I'm going to get into all my statistics. My professor would be so proud of me. (laughs) So there's a concept called work-family conflict. And before I tell you what it is, I'd like to know, like, what you think that means. Uh, I guess, like, kind of like a work-life balance kind of issue. I actually had never heard this term before. Yeah, it came up in every single um, academic article that I read, and I thought it was really interesting. So it's the idea that like, when you have a family, your working life will suffer, or vice versa. Something Ooh, like okay. something will happen to make it really difficult to have a work and uh, to have a working life and a family at the same time. Here's another thing Mm. that I found super interesting and also really sad. Across all demographics, classes, and races, women are doing about 37% more housework than men on average. Wow. (laughs) That is upsetting. I think the biggest disparity was uh, Hispanic women, but I thought it was really interesting that it, like, did not matter if you were upper class or lower class. It did not matter what race you were. It did, like, the disparity was large, no matter who or no matter who you were, no matter what culture you came from. The 2018 American Time Youth Survey found that women aged about 15 and older spend about 5.7 hours per day doing housework and care work, where men do 3.6 hours. Wow. 29% of American women out-earn their husbands as of 2022. Wow. Small <laughs> percentage. Mm-hmm. Um... I found this quote from The Atlantic, which I also thought was very interesting. In one study of families in which wives earned at least 80% of the total household income, researchers found in that just 38% of the couples did both the husband and the wife say that the breadwinner was an appropriate label for the woman. Hmm. When wives earn more than husbands, couples often reframe the value of each spouse's work to elevate the husband's work as being more prestigious and downplaying the importance of the woman's job. But the more economically dependent men are on their wives, the less housework they do. Even women with unemployed husbands spend considerably more time on household chores than their spouses. In other words, women's success in the workplace is penalized at home. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's so upsetting. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was really interesting that even unemployed men do like considerably less housework like i don't know yeah i'd love to hear your thoughts on why that is Uh, this is not like i don't have an answer for this i just want to know your opinion yeah i would guess uh when men are unemployed they might feel like they're putting they're almost like employed by trying to find a job so they're still like and I know this feeling because I was just applying to jobs for a year. Um, it's very exhausting to keep applying and like have no response. And it takes up a lot of your time and energy. So I'm guessing that like that's used as an excuse to like, I'm too tired to do housework. Mm. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I've also like seen, heard a lot of things that are like men really like to feel useful. And I feel mm. like if you're on a, like, and I feel like there's a cultural expectation that your use should be economic if you're a man. Yeah. And 
housework is really necessary, but it's not seen as necessary. Yeah. It might not feel like useful work, and you might be like, I should be contributing, and I should be having a job, and so it, like, it feels like, I don't know, grunt work that you don't want to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Another thing that I found interesting was that even for men who are employed in female-dominated fields like nursing or care work, um, they are actually more likely than other men to do like more masculine chores like um, power hosing or mowing the lawn. <laughs> and power hosing. <laughs> yeah. These these studies that were done also found that like men and women, men tend to take on um, tasks that involve being outside and women tend to take on tasks that involve being inside. So like Hmm. it's a lot more likely for a woman to say take care of the laundry and the man to be in charge of taking care of the trash, which is the case in my house. But it's because I don't like the trash and it's stinky (laughs) and I don't mind the laundry. What I took away from this is, like, I feel like a lot of our sort of gender equality movements in the most recent years have been um, about work. Honestly, I would say since second wave feminism, Mm -hmm. most, most of the feminist sort of breakthroughs have been associated with the workplace. We saw the era of the girl boss. (laughs) We are seeing the era of the girl boss still (laughs) although i feel like now we're like really obsessed with like scammers which like that's my favorite kind of girl boss i love girl (laughs) boss scammer true like i honestly love it when women lie and do crimes great like that's (laughs) that's your that's my favorite kind of thing yeah Yeah. i love that tiktok that's like not only do i support women's rights rights i support women's wrongs and i'm like yeah you get it (laughs) me that's amazing i don't I don't condone crime, but if I did, and if, and if it was a woman, I would say, go off, queen. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. So, <laughs> women's time in housework declined throughout the 1965 to 2010 period, with the most sizable declines between 1965 and 1985. Mm. In defense of men, something that I never <laughs> like to say, men's housework time more than doubled between 1965 and 1998-1989 when it reached a high of 11 hours per week and then dropped to 10 hours a week by 2009-2010, which is when the recession happened, uh, which I feel like is some context that we are missing there. In 2009-2010, women are estimated to do 1.6 times the amount of housework as men on average, with wives averaging 1.7 times the housework of husbands and married mothers averaging 1.9 times the housework of married fathers. Changes are concentrated in core housework. Women's time in other housework has changed little and men's has increased, perhaps because houses are bigger, home renovation more prominent, and household finances are complicated to manage. Now, here is something that I think complicates this all uh, a lot. So the definition of housework doesn't usually involve childcare. Yeah. Childcare and care work are usually surveyed separately to housework, which is seen as like purely chore things. Um, there's something called direct childcare versus primary childcare. So direct childcare is when you are like actively involved with your kid, you're, you're playing, you're taking them somewhere, you are watching them. Primary childcare is when you're doing something else, but you're also supervising the child. Let's say you're making dinner and your child is in the room. Mm. That's called primary childcare. 
Mm-hmm. Time and childcare declined for married mothers between 1965 and 1975 as the United States moved from the large family sizes of baby boom households to family sizes that have stabilized around replacement fertility, an average of two children per family. After 1975, married mothers' time and child care rose from 7.3 hours in 1975 to 13.7 hours in 2009-2010, a trend that differs significantly from the trend in housework. Married fathers' time in childcare also increased from a low of 2.4 hours per week in 1975 to 7.2 hours per week in 2009 2010. 2.4 hours per week? <laughs> oh I <God>. know. <laughs> like, I know it's, but be- I heard that it's better now, <laughs> but like only by a little. Yeah, it's not that much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He's like, I'm approaching my 2.4 hour quota. <laughs> We gotta save this for the weekend. <laughs> like, I can't imagine being a child in 1975 and being like, Dad, welcome home. I want to show you whatever I did at school today. Dad's just like, no. Like, <laughs> Married fathers are doing less housework than in 1995, but they seem to have shifted to doing more childcare. Changes in the gender division of childcare or lack thereof may have become central to to future gains for women vis-a-vis men in the labor force. So there was a lot of like information from all of these studies about how in sort of the from the 1950s to the late 20th century that good wives prioritized providing a welcoming environment for their husbands um but today what women and men value heterosexual men and women value in a partner is more like a more aligned with their goals they want a an educated partner a strong labor force prospect and they want to share interests so it's like i feel like today people select their partners more um equitably than they used to However, the surge of mothers into the labor force definitely, like, foregrounded women's work as mothers. Um, This is, I'm reading a quote now. Intense devotion to children emerged as central to the mark of a good woman, trumping housewifery, as children were seen to require more maternal devotion. Thus, the equality among married couples diminishes as they transition to parenthood, a transition that solidifies women's responsibility for household work and men's for wage work. Um, this is a little tangent. I feel like every time I read something like this, um, not to be a film major, but I did write my, one of my last papers in school on The Devil Wears Prada, and I, yeah, it was about, like, chick flicks actually being a feminist genre, and I wrote it in French, so I don't remember, like, a lot of the points, but I do remember making the point that, like, Miranda Priestley is seen as a terrible mother, like, she can't keep her children down, even though it's clear that she really cares for them and she really values them but she spends all this time at work and she's such a nightmare boss and she can't keep a husband like her personal life is in shambles because she is devoted to her career so much and this is like read as something really negative by the movie and i remember making this point in my paper that like there was no way that like that family would be afloat without her career and I feel like that's something we see in media all the time. And, like, I've been in jobs where people have, like, quit to go spend time with their children. And um, and it's usually 
breadwinning women. It's usually breadwinning women who quit to spend time with their children. That was something I was thinking about while doing this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just like yet another double standard. Because, like, men can spend 2.4 hours a week with their kids, and, like, no one has a problem with it. No one's like, you're being a bad dad. It's like, you're the breadwinner. You're providing money for your family to exist the way that it does, so that's fine. But if the roles are reversed, it's like, wow, what a bad mom. And that's all that matters. And I feel like also men are really rewarded for spending, like, any time with their children. Like, when you see a man... Yes, the standards are so low. Yeah. Like, when you see a man take, like, their kid to the playground or something, you're like, oh my god, what a good dad. And it's like, well, that might might be his 2.4 hours for the week. You don't know. Yeah. Now, something else which I definitely knew about, but I found the academic literature on it um, very vindicating. Uh, This is from the U.S. Department of Labor in 2019. Another study that examined time spent in work and leisure found that among all women and men aged 15 and older, a leisure gap exists. While women and men spend equal amounts of time on work, with men spending more on paid work and women more on household and childcare, men spend on average approximately six hours more per week, 49 minutes per day, doing leisure activities, such as playing sports, watching TV, socializing, and playing games. Wonder if that's related to the 2.4 hours per week they spend with their children. (laughs) I love that we can't let that go. (laughs) It's like, it's just such a shocking statistic to me. It is. It's like so comically So low. I think it's it's like seven hours today, but isn't that It's like not that long ago that it was 2.4. Anyway, anyway. Yeah. And, and now, this is something that really blew my mind. I think this was the most shocking thing um, of all. So I'm sure you have at some point heard the idea like that men just don't like perceive messiness. They don't notice it. They have different <laughs> standards of cleanliness, right? Yeah, which is so funny because that's like the opposite of what I said earlier in this episode. I'm like, I don't perceive messiness. So the Fast Company did an article where they tested this and found this to not be true. Now, this was a very small sample size and it was like, it's not comprehensive, but it found that like men and women would rate when shown pictures of a dirty room, they would rate it the same amount of messiness. However, and they were told that like it belonged to John or Jennifer, but it was the same room. And when they were told that it belonged to John, they were a little more lenient with their judgments, when, but when they were told that it belonged to Jennifer, they perceived it as messier and more unacceptable. Wow, interesting. Yeah, so men actually do perceive mess. It's just that they're a lot less likely to be socially punished for it. Um, do you know that video of... Chris Fleming's character, Gail, that's like, people are coming over. We have to get rid of the cushions. They can't know we sit. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I love that video. Like I, this, this study really made me think of that because I was like, wow, that's exactly it. Like, the panic that you feel when, like, having an unexpected visitor in your home and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, it's, like, dirty. It's not necessarily, like, I'm not ashamed of my home being dirty. It's that I'm ashamed. Like, I don't know what they're going to think about me if my home is dirty and it's messy and things aren't away and I've, like, shown that I don't have the executive function to put away the dishes sometimes um which is something that i have never observed a man to worry about hmm well i have 
<laughs> well, that's good. Good for Daniel. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, I feel like the men in my family are, like, the really clean ones. Generally. Yeah, your dad is pretty clean. Yeah. That's so, good. Yeah. <laughs> so I just have, like, weird standards, I guess. <laughs> my dad is also really clean, but in a, like, mental illness way. So mm-hmm. it was, like... My my parents are both really clean, and I wasn't, like, very clean as a child, but I'm clean as an adult. I'm not organized, but I'm not dirty. So there's that. <laughs> women and economic rights. Again. So today, more, more women than men have bachelor's degrees. 56% of white women compared to 44% of white men. 64% of black women compared to 36% of black men. 60% of Hispanic women compared to 40% of Hispanic men. 54% of Asian American Pacific Islander women to, 40, to 46% of AAPI men. 61% of Northern American Indigenous and First Nations peoples to 39% of Indigenous men, and 59% of bi and multiracial women to 41% of men. The percentage um, across all race and demographics is higher by about 20% for associate's degrees. So more women are also doctors and lawyers, but the gender pay gap is still pretty real. So we know that the gender pay gap is a thing. Um, Going into 2022, women earn about 82 cents for every $1 men earn, um, which is unchanged from 2021. It used to be, I think, 79 cents to the dollar. Um, so that actually has improved. Mm. Still still not equal, but it has yeah. improved. Um, however, <laughs> the gender gap narrows considerably when, con- when comparing the earnings of women and men with the same or similar job level and title, education, years of experience, industry, and hours worked. So to me, what that statistic says is that women are not being considered for like higher earning positions but that just might be my conjecture yeah um looking at this controlled gender pay gap women are being paid 99 cents for every one dollar men make which is up a cent from 2021 um when pay scale found that women made 98 cents for every one dollar that men earned and again that's specifically like people that are at the same level of their title. So it's like if you're a woman executive and a man executive, it's not like women Mm. overall. Okay. A 2015 survey found that almost half of dual earner same-sex coupled shared laundry duties compared with just under a third of different sex couples. And a whopping 74% of same-sex couples shared routine childcare compared with only 38% of straight couples. 38. Oh my God. (laughs) Here's something that's really sad. So, for the first time in nearly a decade, in January 2020, women had about 50% of jobs in the U.S. This, like, really makes me cry. The decrease in employment in the first three months of the COVID-19 recession is more than double the decrease affected by the Great Recession over two years. From the end of 2007 to the end of 2009, U.S. employment fell by 8 million, or 5%. In addition... The impact of the COVID-19 recession on several groups of workers varies notably from their experiences in the Great Recession, according to a new new Pew Research Center analysis of government data. Hispanic women have experienced a steeper decline in employment, 21% in the COVID-19 downturn than other men or women. Again, we mentioned this in the last episode, but another component component of the pandemic was that so many people lost childcare, and it's just mm-hmm. like, I can't imagine. Like, I'm glad that I don't have kids, because I cannot imagine that. 
Seriously. Is that job loss statistic inclusive of both layoffs and like like leaving a job by choice? I think it was just layoffs. Um, I, okay. I'll, I'll see if I can find it for the show notes. I don't like, because rem- I think I saw it on like a elevator headline or something. So yeah, um, <laughs> I might have written that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Going into the parenting issue, they found that um, parenting advantage for gay and lesbian couples is that they don't often have an unintended or unwanted child, which is a huge risk factor for poor parenting. Couldn't imagine why. And then I also looked a little bit into, like, the care industry, which has really been dominated by women for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. So in the last decade, there's actually been a triple um, amount of increase in the amount of male nurses, which I know is like... Wow. Yeah, and it's been, like, really controversial, actually, that there are so many male nurses now. And I've, like, seen, like, I've seen some particularly conservative people say, like, men shouldn't be nurses, they should be doctors. Um, Oh my god. Oh, and also care work is defined as caring for the elderly, those with disabilities, and children. So anything that involves sort of caring for people. Wow. Um, Although the care industry is dominated by women... 88%, men represent a rapidly growing part of the workforce. While the care industry continues to to employ mostly white, U.S.-born workers, these demographics are also changing, particularly in home-based adult care. While the care workforce grew among all major racial and ethnic groups, the share made up of white workers grew at the slowest slowest rate, 9%, with the share of Hispanic workers growing more than five times as much, 48%, and the share of multiracial workers growing six times as much, 57%. The share of naturalized citizens and foreign-born non-citizens in the care workforce grew by 70% and 20%, respectively, over the decade between 2005 and 2015. Home-based adult care in particular saw a 140% increase in the share of naturalized citizens and an 80% increase in the share of foreign-born non-citizens. TLDR there's a lot more foreign people in the care workforce now than there used to be, like almost half as much. And then I also looked into the satisfaction of straight women in, in marriage, which is actually really like hard to find something that wasn't, again, like incredibly specific. Um, but I found a couple of fun things for us to, to focus on, which is that <laughs> can't wait. Women in different sex marriages reported the highest levels of psychological distress. Men in same-sex marriages reported the lowest. Men married to women and women married to women were in the middle, recording similar levels of distress. And I remember there was something that was really interesting where they were talking about, um, like, marriages between gay men where they don't have a woman in the house. Like, they're a lot more likely to communicate with their partners. So, like, they found that, like, I think it was, like, gay, gay... couples who are like living with their mom or something would be less likely to communicate and to like let the woman handle the emotional distress but men without a woman in the house like had a a significantly better like way of communicating with their partners Uh, interesting yeah because they had to figure it out yeah um dishwashing is the chore that most influences relationship quality (laughs) (laughs) yeah dishwashing sucks i hate washing the dishes really does i also hate it i feel like we me and duncan have a good like routine with the dishes so that's good but i definitely remember like i i decided like when we were figuring out like 
when we were figuring out how it was going to work, because we don't live together, or we, like, he comes and spends the, like, half the week at my house, so Mm -hmm. he's here, like, half the time, and he's at his house, like, half the time, and so we were trying to figure out how to, like, fairly distribute stuff, because there's just more stuff to do when he's here, there's, Mm -hmm. like, more dishes get used and things, and I remember, like, at the very beginning, like, I didn't, I had never, like, had that thing like I had never had that experience with a partner before and I decided that I was gonna go on strike and I was gonna stop doing the dishes and like (laughs) and I didn't tell him that which was probably my (laughs) perfect my first mistake um and I remember just being so like why isn't he doing the dishes like I just wanted him to read my mind we worked on it and 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 we got it done but (laughs) I'm um, glad to hear that yeah now now we have a good like whoever cooks doesn't do the dishes and whoever does cook yeah yeah daniel and i usually cook together and then like kind of do the dishes together or like trade off doing the dishes for me because i well i have a portable dishwasher now but i didn't so the dishes was like this huge chore and i really don't like slimy things and i like didn't figure out that i could wear gloves until like last year so (laughs) that was fun um so I really don't mind doing the dishes, but they just, like, pile up, and I hate them. There's always dishes to do. That's adulthood. Yeah. Dish after dish after so dish. <sighs> yeah, so basically, women are punished for being dominant both in history and today by suffering workplace losses and also witch trials <laughs> and social consequences and being portrayed as Miranda Priestly. <laughs> Uh, yeah we did suffer for that yeah so that's all uh that's all my facts and before we're introducing a new section of our podcast called like what do we do about it so before we go into that i'd love to hear your general takeaway of all of the statistics i just threw at you (laughs) uh wow a general takeaway of everything um depressing uh men do better overall um and finally sorry i found the best one (laughs) (laughs) yeah so what do we do about it i i have a couple of points here but i'd love to know your if you were offering a solution to a man who is who is struggling with weaponized incompetence (laughs) who's struggling with not having a submissive wife what would you say speaking directly to a man who's struggling with uh this (laughs) let's see i don't know i guess like suck it up it's the 21st century like (laughs) it's time for equality i don't know um like how do we fix it it just feels like such a big societal problem but genuinely I don't know so much of our interpersonal like relationship problems could just be solved by communicating more Mm -hmm. yeah and so like maybe don't go on strike and refuse to do the dishes without telling your partner I cannot say that was an effective strategy (laughs) yeah but do tell them when you're feeling like you're doing a bigger portion of the housework 
a bigger portion of the child care, like find, like work together to find a solution. That strategy did work for me. So <laughs> learn from my mistakes. And like now Duncan and I, when he's here on Saturday nights, we do our chores together. And like we... Nice. We have our responsibilities that we do, and it works out really well. And so, like, we worked together to find that solution. So compromise is the key to a good relationship. Um, Yes. Yeah. I would like to read two quotes to you. Small moments in the home, the wife who tidies up the house when she notices a mess, the husband who mindlessly leaves his wet towel on the bathroom floor, assured that someone else is there to pick it up, lead to larger patterns of inequality within marriages. Daily habits matter, and without change, they'll continue to drag women down. I think that that's something that, like, men and, like, like, less tidy partners in general, no matter what kind of relationship you're in, to be aware of is that, like, your actions have consequences. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And, like, to really, like, notice, if not your actions, how your actions are affecting your partner and to be open with them, like, when they present you with something and to be a person that they can present something to. Like, not to get defensive. You both live in a house. You both have to take care of it. Mm -hmm. And then this other quote, better public policies will will go a long way in spurring more equal practices in the home. Americans generally prefer arrangements where both spouses work and split housework. But this changes when they can't rely on social support, such as paid family leave, subsidized childcare, and flexible work arrangements. Without policies allowing them to pursue an egalitarian family life, men and women tend to fall back on unequal family arrangements that prioritize a male breadwinner and female homemaker. Not to be a meninist, but actually giving family leave to men is really important. Having better social supports for parents, I feel like that's something that is, like, I would encourage you to look into support at the community level, if that's something that you're really passionate about. Write to your council member if you have one. Like, I know in, I live in New York, and, like, our council members are, like, the closest representatives we have, and they do a lot of, like, community initiatives pay attention to your city government and your local government because they actually affect you way more than the federal government does Mm -hmm. and i would say like my takeaway from all of this research was like support social policies that that value parental and care work like that is real work that is fun like that's vital to society and it should be valued um if you are an employer offer paid sick leave unlimited paid sick leave ability to work from home like i don't just like only get sick five days out of the year yeah (laughs) and if i have a child i definitely don't only get sick five days out of the year Mm -hmm. the ability to work from home has been huge um value care work pay your cleaners pay your people who are like doing at home adult care and i think another like really good solution would be to like give more quality part-time work there are so many part-time jobs which are like we'll pay you a nickel and it's like okay <laughs> mm, if you have a part-time job you can still do really great and effective work and you can still contribute to the family mm-hmm. and like you can build a career and like raise your kids at the same time it doesn't have to be an either or thing and i would say like i have a message for men if you're a man work on that just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, like, I feel like 
a lot of the rhetoric we see around weaponized incompetence and like around men generally that I actually kind of disagree with this in um, modern feminist spaces is like men are inherently incompetent and they inherently don't know like what women are like and they are always like this and it's like it's broader men as a class of people Mm -hmm. and I feel like I actually feel like that really devalues men and I feel like there's no oh my god Fenway looks so comfortable right now (laughs) I am taking a screenshot (laughs) amazing um she's just a little fat happy sausage No, but I feel like I disagree with that. Like, I believe in men. I believe that you have the capability to change society and that you are, like, strong, capable people and that men are valuable and they're part of the feminist movement, even. And that, like, it requires work and you have to be willing to do the work and you have to be willing to listen to how the work has to be done. But, like, I totally believe that you can do that and that, like we can have a society that is equitable and fair and that, like we've already made like leaps and bounds up from 2.4 hours per For week sure. spent with your child so like we can keep going it doesn't it doesn't have to stop yeah definitely well said thanks that's amazing i love how in depth you always go and you always go in like a different direction than i think it's gonna go <laughs> what what direction were you expecting me to oh, go i in? don't know i guess like not a history of like workers mm, rights and yeah. stuff um <laughs> it i didn't have like any specific True. expectations but i didn't expect this i guess <laughs> what oh, well, that's or good is what i mean <laughs> i yeah i didn't expect to go into like the history of puritanism which i feel like was a lot of that was a big turning point, I feel like, for gender roles in America. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I hope I hope you learned something. I definitely did. Um, yeah, well, thank you all for listening. Yes, if you liked it, you can leave us a review. Um, yeah, we would really appreciate that. Yeah, if you have things to say, you can come into my Discord server or message us on the Instagram or the Twitter, which is at impure rethought yeah on twitter and instagram (laughs) our website um you can listen to our other episodes wherever you get your podcasts and i think that's it for today yeah i think so so without further ado may your your thoughts thoughts stay stay dirty. dirty